0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast. This episode is Helpline with Mothercraft nurse extraordinaire, Chris Minogue. If she can't help you, nobody can. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Welcome to Helpline with Mothercraft nurse, Chris Minogue. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Whether your little one is having problems at daycare or he or she is struggling with feeding habits, Baby Whisperer Chris Minogue is here to answer your questions. Today, we are taking questions, previous questions, from Facebook and email because um, Chris wasn't able to make it live into the studio today, so we're answering all the questions that have been sent in before. However... Chris will be back live next week. So if you have a question you'd like her to answer, then email us at helpline at au. And, of course, next week we will be live on Facebook again at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So first up, Chris, Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have a question from Jenny. This is from email. Um, She says, I've got a lovely three-and-a-half-month-old baby as well as two older boys, a very active three-and-a-half-year-old and a a two-year-old. She is right in it. Um, We've worked hard to help the baby learn to self-settle at nap time, and he's pretty reliable if I'm careful to watch for the tide signs and make sure he's only up for around 60 to 75 minutes. I can put him down and he'll self-settle to sleep, which makes it much easier with my bigger boys, not leaving them unsupervised for too long. However, as we hit the stage where the baby's sleep patterns mature, he's only doing 45-minute naps, rarely resettling himself to do a longer stretch. He's feeding well and sleeps in a darkened room with white noise, swaddled and away from the activity of the rest of the house. Any suggestions for how I can lengthen his naps without spending too long resettling him? Leaving the others alone for 15 minutes to resettle can be a disaster. (laughs) Unless I employ the TV and I'm reluctant to do that too much. Is there one nap I should prioritise?
1: I think you're doing a great job, job, Jenny, to juggle all that you're juggling. And you have hit that little window where we all know we've got to do some sort of resettling. And I would say to you, the ones that I would prioritise is one in the morning, like first thing in the morning, because you probably need to get out of the house mid-morning with those other two, and then one in the afternoon. So it's sort of two that you have to prioritise and do a little bit of that hard work of going backwards and forwards and doing the resettling to link the cycles. So the reason that I choose two of them is because they keep that morning one till they're 14 months old or thereabouts when they move to one sleep and they keep the afternoon one until they're two and a half or three. So I'm more prioritising what's going to work for me in the long term than just picking one because I think it's inconsistent to do one if he's having four sleeps in the day and you're only doing one. I don't think there's another... enough repetitive behaviour for him to learn it. So I'd choose one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And you might need to use bribery and corruption to be able to do it with the big kids. Yeah. Find a DVD you're okay yeah, with putting on. That you put on for 15-minute lots. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. I think you're doing well if it only takes 15 minutes to read. Yeah, level. I totally agree as well. <laughs> Thank you. High five to Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um The next question comes from Bryony, who has a two-and-a-half-year-old. I'm looking some, for some help, advice for my two-and-a-half-year-old and toilet training. She was severely constipate, constipated from approximately six to 18 months and as a result has... Mm-hmm. Um, had tears from constipation. Oh, oh, oh baby! No doctor, naturopath, chiropractor, etc., could help me or pinpoint oh. what it was. I now um, suspect she had she was cow's milk protein intolerance (CMPI). And as this was her only symptom, it was missed. That is my theory anyway. As when we mo- removed the bottles and milk, it instantly stopped. Anyway, as a result of this, she avoids pooing. Fair enough. She no longer holds on, but still has some fear around going, even though the tears are all gone and she's no longer constipated. When she was just two, she declared that she didn't want to wear nappies anymore. Oh, that's amazing. I was really surprised but had been told to just follow her lead, so I went with it. Mm -hmm. After two days, it was clear she was not ready, Mm -hmm. and I suspect the fad of not wanting to wear a nappy was because she moved into the bigger room at daycare and many of the kids were using the toilet. But in reality, it wasn't the right time for her. Mm At about two years and four months, I felt like she was showing lots of interest, wanting to sit on the potty to yeah. do a wee, wanted to take a nappy off when she woke up, wanted to do wees on the toilet. So I stayed home for a couple of days and she had it sorted with the wee. Poo was a different story. Yeah. But I was prepared for a bit of a struggle given the history. When she returned to daycare after a couple of days at home, she rarely had an accident and was holding on and asking for the toilet when she wanted to do a wee. She has no pattern to doing a poo. So it was really hard to pinpoint and give her the opportunity to sit on the potty and toilet to see if it would happen. This then continued for about six weeks. She would go and hide and poo in her pants, but not want me to go near her and change her. I obviously did, <laughs> just yeah. highlighting that, but it was a struggle. We always remained calm and it was never a problem when she had an accident. We would just remind her that we had used the toilet for potty or potty and flush it down, clean, clean her up and change her. We tried reward tra- charts, read and still, do read, still do read lots of books. I even offered her a pull-up if she wanted to do a poo about um, going to the toilet. But after about six weeks of cleaning up pooey clothes, I felt like maybe I had done the wrong thing. And we put her into pull-ups, which has sent her right back and she basically stopped using the toilet. Perhaps this was the wrong thing to do, but she was starting to get upset when she had an accident and was still refusing to go near a potty or toilet. If I caught her doing it and would try to put her on the the potty, she would scream and cry. So it just felt like the time was wrong. She's now two and a half and is telling me when she needs to do a wee. Whenever we change her nappy, I ask her uh, if we should try to do a poo and she always says um, the toilet. But when I say, shall we try? She's very quick to say no. No. Daycare tells me she only does wee in the toilet there, so that makes me think I should try again, but I don't want her to fail, in inverted commas, for a third time. Help, I'm worried I have completely mucked it up. Do I give it a go and just stick it out this time, or should I wait until she's closer to three and giving me a verbal commitment she will try the toilet when it's time for number two?
1: Right. A lot going on there. There is a lot going on, but I... The only thing I can reassure you is that goes on in lots of households lots of the time. And this one happened to stem from a long history of constipation. But generally, there's a bit of argy-bargy about pooping in a toilet from most kids. So I think you need to feel reassured that most kids go through what she's doing now as opposed to what was happening before. And for one, there's a great link about constipation on the um, Melbourne Children's hospital website they have amazing links and it has a great little way of getting them back into the pattern of going to the toilet from a history of constipation or if there are const. If they are constipated. And I think this is where I would read it. And it talks about regularly sitting on the toilet with their knees slightly higher than their hips, which puts them in the right position. But it's a great little article and it's always on there. So if you go to the Children's Hospital Melbourne, Melbourne Children's Hospital, Royal Children's, yeah. Hospital, Melbourne. Royal Children's Hospital of Melbourne, and then you just look up in their research and parenting section about constipation, it'll give you a nice little pattern. Personally, myself, I'd take a break from it. Um, there's been lots going on. I'd encourage her to go to the toilet to do her wheeze. And if she feels like doing a poop in the the pull-up, then I would go with it. I'd give her about a couple of weeks and then I'd implement what they talk about on that um, link. And I think you'll find that the whole thing will come together.
0: But she's she's okay, Bryony. You do, You haven't okay. mucked it up.
1: You haven't mucked it up. It's a difficult thing to get through. There's lots of, I think the hard one is go with her cues because most two-year-olds would also state they'd like chocolate but we don't go with that cue so (laughs) I think it's really difficult because their verbal language comes a lot more before they're cognitive to understand what they're saying and to be able to carry it through which is that two and a half to three year old so take a little breath take a little break restart again and I'm sure she'll be fine
0: Mm. and good on you for not shaming her every time she did have an accident yeah absolutely
1: because that's really important
0: and that's that's something that's going to carry on for the rest of her life in a good
1: way but I think the really hard Bit is how <laughs> much is the child pushing and how much are we trying to get them to do the right thing. And I think that's such a fine line. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> how to get a child to do a poop in the toilet. Uh, Stay tuned for that yeah, one, Yeah, that one's coming. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so, so, yeah, take a little breath. Read the link. It's a really good link. Re- link, And I often go back to it when I've forgotten parts about, especially with the constipated child, and it really just gives it very clear instructions on what to do.
0: Okay, good luck. Briny. Uh, this one comes from Ellie on email. Currently my eighteen month old daughter is waking early. The past four mornings she's woken at five thirteen AM on yeah. the dot. Torture. Her room is set at twenty degrees, no birds, neighbours, or car roller doors um, <laughs> are making noise at that time of the morning. She's also been waking a little more overnight. One two hour grizzle fest. With assistance from us to get her back to sleep, other times she can resettle herself within five minutes. Generally, she has one nap a day and goes down 11.30 to 11.45 a.m. At home, she will sleep anywhere between one to two hours. Kindy days, which is three days a week, she will sleep between 40 minutes... To one and a half hours. She will go down for the night between 6.30 and 7, depending on when she woke from her nap and how tired she appears, especially after kindy days. She's waking anywhere between 1 and 2 p.m. from her day nap, which makes every day a bit different. She had been sleeping from 7 p.m. till 6, 6.30 a.m.-ish, with the odd night wake even with this very day nap wake time. So she previously was sleeping well, and now she's decided... 5.13 is when I'll be awake.
1: Now, that was lovely. I can't remember how old she is. How old 18 she? months. Oh, that's it. I got focused on when she was going to sleep and then I forgot how old she was. At 18 months um, and she's up by 2, 2.30 and going down by 7.30. I think it's probably just behavioural. But the other thing I would check at the moment is that she's not cold. So, significantly colder now in these last few weeks than it has been. And so, some babies are waking much, much earlier or little ones are waking because they are cold. So, 20 degrees, but what do we actually physically have on her? Um, But I think in the end, she's just waking at 5.15 because everything else reads really well. So, if your room is 20 degrees, how would you dress a baby? Uh, She's an 18-month-old, so I'd probably have a long-sleeve bodysuit on her. Um, A slightly thicker onesie because their arms are very free from their sleeping bags. And then I'd put a 2.5 tog sleeping bag on her if her room was about 20 degrees. Okay. So it's that double layering on her arms because sometimes their arms get cold and that's what wakes them. Their hands are cold and their arms are cold. Um, So that could be an influence because it is quite cold from that four o'clock onwards window um, overnight. So you could check that. But my heart of hearts tells me she might just need to have a little bit of resettling done at 5.13 in the morning. It's weird how they wake up at exactly that yes. same weird time every day. Very strange. Um, And that's why I, I tend to believe it's more the habit Yeah. because she wouldn't be cold every single morning. So I suspect that it's become habit and we just need to do some resettling till about six. Okay. Because everything else seems quite fine. All, All right. There.
0: Okay, Ellie. Well, good luck with that. Our next question comes from Michelle. My almost four-month-old has had a rough time with my forceful letdown, so with breastfeeding. Oh. She chokes, gags, and coughs. I thought she would get used to it by now or my body would have accommodated to her. Any tips?
1: You would think that your body would have accommodated by now, so the one thing we need to make sure is we would – change the positioning. Now, this is a hard one to describe on radio, yes. um, but uh, with a very fast letdown, uh, there's two usually two approaches. So one is to lay the baby in what they call the natural position. So the baby's sort of more up over the breast than laying under the breast in a more classical position. Or the um, more common way is that the mum reclines herself when she's feeding to slow that letdown down. And then once the baby's sucking in a rhythmic pattern, then they gently sit up and the baby seems to be able to cope with it. It is an early morning, but an early aged behaviour. But at four months, I would have thought it had settled down. So the only other thing I could be thinking is, actually, does she, you know, does she pull the milk in her mouth? And she's actually coughing because she's got too much in her mouth
0: and not she's suck not swallowing. swallowing
1: properly. So goodness, how do you fix that? <laughs> yeah. So with that one, you still do the elevated feed, so that she's taking less in her mouth and getting that gap between the suck swallow pattern. So this one is a little bit difficult because we can't see her doing it. So the other thing I'd suggest is in your local area, you've probably got a breastfeeding clinic and they would be able to assess that feed in her positioning, maybe change her positioning and get her to feed a little bit easier. But they'd also check whether it's your letdown or whether it's something going on for the baby. So some babies with very mild reflux, they cough in their while well, they're feeding and therefore they cough and splatter and the parent thinks it's about the actual letdown, but it's about what the baby's doing.
0: Okay, okay. that sounds sounds good yeah. idea, Michelle. If you can find one in your local area, Chris Minogue and Helpline on Feed, Play, Love will be back answering more questions right after this. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand.
1: I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back! Get back here! But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like you yes. know, a monkey one.
0: Because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah. Like a disguise. (laughs) (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your questions with Helpline and Chris Minogue. This next one comes from Daniela. Yep. I'm hoping you can help us out with my 10-month-old's sleep as we are exhausted and don't know what to do. Three months ago, we... uh, Three months ago, we sleep trained him with a gentle approach. We patted him to sleep, then stayed in the room with him, then eventually moved out of the room and he would fall asleep by himself. It helped him extend naps and sleep in the night with only one wake for a quick feed and then back to sleep. In the last month, it has all gone pear-shaped and he has stopped doing that. Some naps he self-settles without needing us and some he cries until we pat the mattress and he puts his head on our hand and falls asleep. Most night, he most nights he goes to sleep without a fuss. We are in the room, but lately he's been waking anywhere from 2 till 5am for a feed for five minutes and not settling back after. He wakes frequently, needing patting to sleep, can sometimes be awake for an hour while we sit in the room. Then in the middle of these terrible nights, he'll sleep through from 7 till 7. And I can't work out why sometimes he does it and sometimes he doesn't. His normal day will look something like this, 6.30 to 7.00 wake up, 9.00 to nine thirty, first first nap, usually between an hour and an hour and a half, sometimes more, 2.00 to two thirty, second nap, also about an hour or an hour and a half, mostly shorter than the first nap, 7.00 p.m. bedtime. He's on solids, three meals a day and two snacks, although he's become fussy with that
1: too. That's yeah. from Daniela, 10 That's months just old. That's because he's tired. I think he's just got used to you sitting in the room when he goes to sleep. So when he wakes up overnight, he wants to know where you are. Come back to me. And I think the reason that you get the differences in any particular night is just how well he sleeps. So on a, any given night, if he, a 10-month-old could be awake and talking for 20 minutes. They could be crying. They could be rolling around awake. But I think because of the approach where you've sat in the room until he's gone to sleep with either him touching you or you patting the bed, he now needs you to be there when he wakes up to go back to sleep. So the gentle approach was the right approach. We don't want to go in too hard and fast. But actually what we would have done is, is have you out of the room before he fell asleep so that when he wakes through his normal sleep cycles, he would be able to put himself back to sleep using whatever the technique is that you had at first um, uh, tried with him. So I think the, the problem is that sitting in the room has taught him that he needs to see you when he wakes up. So I think what I would do at this point is um, when he wakes up, and you go to go back to settling him. I'd only stay for a few minutes and then I'd leave for a few minutes and then I'd come back and reassure him and then I'd leave for a little bit longer because I think inadvertently he's just looking for your reassurance of being physically there to get him back to sleep. Right.
0: Well, good luck with that. And before we move on from Daniela, how yeah.
1: long do they need to... Um Well, how long should they expect this transition to take until he's... In terms of days, uh, with a 10-month-old, up to five days, how long it takes for him to drop off to sleep, anywhere between 40 minutes and an hour. Because we're sort of going in and out as opposed to just sitting there. But as she said, I was in there for an hour and he was awake. So it's no different. It's just that... That leaving him and him trying to self-settle is what we're asking him to do as opposed to being there and you're physically the person he needs for you to go back to sleep.
0: All right. Well, good
1: luck with that, Daniela.
0: This next question comes from Gillian on the email. Uh, Thanks for your advice around dealing with no sleep at daycare. Josh is almost 16 months old and has now transitioned to one sleep a day and he only attends daycare two mornings a week. So it isn't so much of a problem anymore. Josh is sleeping well at night. The last week he has been sometimes waking super early, like 4.15 a.m., and we've needed to resettle him. Anytime before 5 a.m., we try and resettle, and anytime after 5 a.m. and he won't resettle, we just get up. He normally sleeps from around 7 p.m. when he self-settles to sleep and wakes anywhere between 5.30 and 6.30 a.m., this is a long email. <laughs> we do breakfast around 7am, snack around 9am and lunch at around 11am. He's usually asleep by 11.30 or 11.45. He normally sleeps until 1.30 or 2. On days he's at daycare, I pick him up at 11.45 and we come home for lunch at 12 and sleep usually by 12.30. He's often overtired and struggles to get to sleep and then wakes up only after about an hour and a half and is usually still tired but can't get back to sleep. Then he's grumpy and teary when he wakes because he hasn't had long enough. This is only two days a week and will be three days a week starting from September, but by then his day sleep will be around 12, I guess, and it won't be such a stretch for him. The reason why I'm writing is that the last couple of weeks he has woken up from his day nap on non-daycare days really upset. Sometimes he has had between two and three hours of sleep, which seems like enough, but he wakes up so upset, hysterically crying, and it's really hard to snap him out of it. He's been pretty moodly lately, tantrums about lots of little things, but from talking to friends with kids around the same age, this seems normal. He's generally super happy, talking lots, running around, and learning new things every day. Do you have any thoughts on why he might be waking from his naps upset, and what could I do? I've tried doing everything slowly in case he's just a bit groggy from sleep, giving him time to look out the window, not taking off his sleep sack straight away, reading a book with him, etc. but this doesn't seem to help. Often I end up doing something like giving him some fruit. That seems to calm him down. I'm assuming he's well-rested after such good
1: sleep, so I can't imagine what's going on. Weirdly, I think he's tired. Even after two or three hours? Yeah, I wonder how much he's... Because remember, he's getting up at five, isn't he? Um, yes. Yeah. But they try to reset. Yeah. Yeah. So he's getting up. He could have been awake since 4.30 in the morning, um, dozing. So I, I actually think he is tired. Um, but if I, if I ignored that morning bit, cause they're trying to get him back to sleep, I'd be putting him down at 12 every day. So everyone was doing the same thing. So he didn't get himself overtired on one day and then on the next day it, it's different. When we fix the 4, 4.30 to 5 window, um, then uh, what we'll be able to do is push him to 7.30 at night. So I think by accepting 5 o'clock as getting up, his overall is tired because he's going from 5 o'clock, whereas most babies are going from 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning to 11.30 or 12. He's going from 5 o'clock to 11.30 or 12. And so that one hour does make a difference and so I think you have to to fix that more early morning pattern and then everything will be more even so if he got up then at six and he goes down at 12 and sleeps till two and then goes down at seven thirty, I think that generally the whole pattern will feel more like he is more even you know he's a happy boy just generally they should be happy um 18 month olds usually aren't you know, throwing things at you unless they're tired. He they're in there. She mentioned he wakes up sometimes screaming and crying and carrying on. That could be early um, uh, night terrors, and you know that the complication of early night terrors is also that they're tired, and that's why they got him. So I think this all stems back at that four thirty-five o'clock, and not accepting five o'clock as the start of the day. So they'd try to resettle. Yeah. So you'd need to do your resettling right through to six. And a few days of doing that I think is going to tip the clock in the right direction for him. All right. Good luck,
0: Gillian. This one questions from Renee. She has a six-month-old waking up at night. Um, They slept brilliantly from birth, including sleeping through from six till six at three months old, however, hit the four-month regression hard. He self-settles to sleep with a dummy, but inevitably spits it out and needs me to come in and put it back in as he is still learning to do it himself. This is okay. However, it's getting out of hand as he is waking more and more overnight and I'm having to feed back to sleep at times. My question is... Is the dummy the issue and should I get rid of the dummy altogether or just wait it out um, until he can start putting it back in himself?
1: Well, that'll be a while. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) he won't be able to put it back in for a long time. Um, I think this is just a, a complete settle and resettle. And you might be going in too quick with a dummy and trying to put it in his mouth. So if I go in and put a dummy in his mouth and he spits it out, I don't put it back in for a good few minutes later. So he either wants it or he doesn't want it. Don't just keep putting it back in. Um, it does sound like a dummy problem but it also sounds like a four-month-old that's waking more frequently so let's try a little bit of the settling by you know whenever he wakes give him a few minutes to see if he can self-settle on his own wait for the crying to sort of be consistent and a slightly agitated go in and either rock pat him first before you use the dummy Okay, so give yourself a few minutes of shush pat, rock pat, whichever one feels more comfortable for you. And I literally mean like three minutes, which feels like about three hours. <laughs> so three minutes. Then then I'd go in with the dummy because if he's going to take it, it's going to be more effective by doing it that. If he spits it out immediately... Don't cry and put it back in immediately. Go back to your shush pat for another couple of minutes before you try again. Um, I think the other thing that happens at four months with this awareness, it's not a regression, it's a maturity, it's an awareness, um, is that we change the ball on the baby. So where they might have been sleeping till midnight and having a feed and then four o'clock and having a feed suddenly they wake at 10 and we give them a feed so they will naturally wake more often for a feed so remember not to mix the signals up between the waking baby and the feeding baby or where they need a feed overnight So, you know, if he had been sleeping till midnight and he'd been doing that quite, you know, for quite a while and he wakes at 10, it's probably more about resettling than it is about a feed. But what happens is he gets all these mixed messages. Am I going to get a feed? Am I going to get the dummy? So coming back to understanding about resettling for this age group, which is full on and we need to do a lot of it. Um, and then making sure that we give him the right message so if it's appropriate for him to have a feed he gets the feed so if he's gone from you know seven till midnight or something like that Um, but otherwise try the resettling it'll be a little bit tough for a few days but then I think you'll get the momentum of it and it'll start working and you'll start linking those cycles back together again
0: Excellent. Good luck, Renee. We have time for just one more question. This is an email from Jane. I need some help with our little seven-month-old boy. He never He's never been a great sleeper and have worked a lot on settling, going to sleep on his own, awake time, etc. He was waking twice, sometimes once a night, where I would feed him and just put him back down to sleep, never fed to sleep. The times he would wake would be between 11 and 3, then up at 7ish, going to bed at 6, 6.30 as his day naps were a little short. In the last two weeks, he's been waking multiple times at night, screaming, taking hours to go back to sleep, normally having to be held and in with us, which is not ideal. We thought it could be teeth as he's putting his fingers in his mouth and biting down on his gums. However, now it has gone on for so long, we are reaching out for help. I'm unsure if he's overtired before going to bed, but because he's so unpredictable and how long he naps during the day, it's hard to know. He has two day naps, first one about two and a half hours after he wakes Then the same in the middle part of the day, then three-ish hours before eventually bed. Unfortunately, sometimes he naps for 30 minutes, others an hour and a half. He's just so unpredictable. Other 30-minute naps from overtiredness or undertired. He has the same routine, feed, book, bed, sometimes doesn't get fed as he has been fed an hour before. This doesn't seem to change his naps as he sometimes sleeps well and sometimes he doesn't. He's our second, and we are worried he will wake his older sister, so resort to having him in with us or holding him. Also, sometimes he will immediately stop crying once we go in his room. Is that a sign of separation anxiety? No. What do you do do if he's up early from an Avo nap? Do you aim for a third at 5.30 or push through till 6.30? We often find ourselves worried he's going to bed very, very tired.
1: And very early. Mm. I think this is a day-settling problem. Okay. Because he's only sleeping for less than two hours in the day and a seven-month-old, seven-month-old, is i uh, right? Yeah, seven or 8 months. 7 months, you're right. Yep, should have about three and a half hours in the day. So I think he's getting all these very subtle, you're doing the right thing because you're trying to catch up the sleep and putting him to bed early. That earliness is impacting your night, but overall he's not getting enough sleep so he in that first morning stays awake for two and a half hours that's right but he should be having about an hour a really good hour if not an hour and a half and then in the afternoon he should be having two hours so I think the overall problem is he is overtired but I think the problem lies with how he's settling in the day and that's just following on and impacting your nights And I I know that there's another toddler in the the house, but you're saving him. So you're giving him these mixed messages at night. I'll pick you up. I'll bring you into our room. I'll feed you. So he's seven months old, one feed overnight, perfectly fine. So now we need to sit back and think about, okay, what do we want to happen here? So that we've got a clear message for him. So if he goes down at 6.30 and he goes till one o'clock in the morning, he has a feed at one in the morning, he should be able to go through till six in the morning. So let's set our boundaries, our soft boundaries for him. And then now we've got our windows that we're going to do resettling. Um, so that he doesn't get picked up or he doesn't get a feed in the wrong spot because then he doesn't know what we're asking of him and we're going to apply that same technique in the day for his day sleeps. So, you know, you've got to let him have a little cry for a little bit, lay him down, give him a pat shush, comfort him, get him to calm, leave, leave for a few more minutes, go back in and reset, resettle him so that the technique isn't different. But we need the consistency in when he's going to get it. So I think subtly overnight he gets a very different message and he doesn't get enough sleep in the day. So he is an overtired baby. Jane,
0: good luck. Make sure you get back in touch if you need any more help. Um, Chris, that's all we have time for this time on Feed Play Love. Thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. This has been Helpline on Fee Play Love, hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt. If you want to ask Chris your questions for the next episode, you can email them to us directly. The email is helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Miscarriage is a heartbreaking and sometimes lonely experience. And new research has found that men are being lost in the aftermath.
1: I think we need to acknowledge that this is men's loss too. They're not just a part, you know a passenger in this. They're not just the partner. They're a father that's had a loss as well.
0: Dr Jade Bilardi was the lead researcher in a new study for the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre. On the next episode of Feed Play Love, she tells us what men say about pregnancy loss and how they want to be supported. Our producer for this podcast is Debbie Ning and I'm Siobhan Hunt.